Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outlook. This is a podcast where I, Luke Anthony, speak to fellow comedians about their world of comedy. My guest this week is award-winning stand-up comedian Adele Cliff. She regularly performs at the big-name comedy clubs, has taken two shows to Edinburgh, and this year is going up with her brand new show, Undershare. I think we should get straight into the conversation. So here is Adele Cliff. How did you first get into comedy? Uh, I first got into comedy around when I was at university. I was in the comedy society, which is mostly a group of idiots who think they're funny. Um, but I was at Warwick Uni and I just did a lot of sketches and tried stand-up once or twice. But mostly when I was there, what I did was meet a couple of other people who were also funny and that was nice. And then we started writing comedy and then eventually a while after that, we did a sketch show at the Edinburgh Fringe. That was expensive. Uh, and then yeah, a while after yeah. that, I started doing stand-up. How long did it take before you were getting regularly paid for it? Um, how often would we say it's regularly? Well, I mean, it, I don't know. What's the average gig you do in a week? Maybe three or four gigs in a week when you first start out, maybe? And yeah. How often well, I guess are you getting paid? It's, so within my first year of comedy, what did I do? I did, um, at the end of my first year of regularly doing stand-up, I did a split Edinburgh show with yeah. uh, with my friend. Uh, and then the end of the second year, I did a 40-minute show. And the end of, like, the th- third-ish, was, quite, was it? No, the end of the fourth. I'm lying. The end of the second year, I did a two-hander. And the end of the third year, I did a 40. The end of the fourth year, I did um, my first hour. And then I'm writing my second hour now. I probably was starting to get quite regular paid stuff about three years in but i think it depends on what you consider regular paid stuff like you can really early on organize shows yourself and then charge for tickets and then technically you're being paid but it's about whether you're going to i think it's about whether you're going to other promoters who regularly put on comedy and they're willing to pay you that's more you know if i if i contact random people and say hey do you want me to do comedy for you i charge this much yeah it's it's paid but that's not really a paid gig in the same way so yeah probably Three issues, I think, is reasonable to get regular paid stuff. And how did you go? Because in London, a lot of you know, when you when people first start comedy, did you first start in comedy in London? Before I... Um, I actually, well, I started performing in London. I did live in Cambridge, but I was working in London, so I yeah. used to do go to work and then gig afterwards, and then get the yeah. last train home. Okay, and, and most mm-hmm. of the slots in London are generally five minutes. How did you manage to get? Like beyond that, and do was it a half an hour split show you did? Uh, yeah, so that was uh, two years in. Well, I drive, which really helps. Yes. Um. So if you drive, you can drive to a further away gig, and they normally give you ten minutes and not yeah. five. And yeah. ten minutes is comedically a lot more than five. You need a bit of structure when you're doing a ten minute set. Mm. You need a bit more thought about what order you put <coughs> stuff in. In a five, really. Unless you put your callback before the initial joke, if you have a callback, you can say it in any order, really. You're there for so little time. It's mostly just about getting out all your material and trying it. But in a 10, in a 15, in a 20, you have to think a little bit more about the structure of the set. Yeah, about the story you're taking them on the journey. Yeah, or not even, like, a lot of my stuff is one-liners, so it's not even really a story. But it's quite, yeah, like the journey you said like that. So, you know, if you've got anything ruder, you think about what you need to do to build them up to that. So you're not shocking them necessarily in a bad way. And then, you know, if you're talking about certain themes, try and order them in a vaguely logical way. You don't have to, but it feels weird if you segue between topics that are really diametrically opposed as opposed to sort of going through subtly and getting all the topics in yeah unless unless you make that part of the joke yeah oh and you can do that and then that's that's another element of structuring it you can do that you know if you segue straight from talking about sex to talking about i don't know some member of your family that's weird but if you can make a joke of that but you have to be aware 
yeah. those kinds of things. Probably the most important part of when you first start, when you you know you first get on stage, especially mm. if people don't know who you are, um, particularly in comedy clubs, is is the sort of the openness, or do you usually start with really light, easy sort of one-liners? Yeah, I try to. I, I do quite a few one-liners in my set. It's not entirely one-liners, but it's certainly something that people now know that I do. Yeah. So I try normally to open with something that will get at least a, a goodish reaction out of everyone. So even, I try not to open with an overt joke that makes people groan. But if I have one that I then have a follow-up about that will make them laugh, I try and do that. But I tend to, I think it's a good idea to go up, say something, even if you're saying it as kind of seemingly an aside, if your first joke is just quite short, quite funny, and even if one or two people in the audience don't like that kind of thing, it's just a you know, half a sentence, basically introduction. And then you go into whatever you were saying. Yeah. And it's not, it's better than, because you want audiences. You'd like to think when an audience goes to a comedy club, they assume all the comedians will be funny, <laughs> but which they should as uh, pro clubs, they should. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. not that it's easier there, obviously they're expecting you to be funny, but there is the assumption that everyone on the bill will be funny. Often at open mics, the MCs actively tell the audience that some people will not be funny. So it's quite <laughs> <laughs> like frequently tell them how I many people I prefer it when they do that, be. to be honest. It gives me... I don't know if like, I prefer it or not. I think there's a balance. You don't want... In an open mic, especially with people who are very new, you don't want not you don't want an atmosphere that's so supportive that it's not representative of how good people's material yeah, is. Yeah. But also, you don't want brand new people to be coming on to someone going, "Well, they might be shit," because that's such a horrible place to start from. You want to start from a sort of a neutral plane and then build them up to laughing. Not start from someone said, "I'm shit." Let me try and convince you otherwise. Yeah, I so. mean, I'd say, an M- <laughs> if anything, an MC's job is to big you up, maybe even bigger than what you're going to be, because yeah. you need to get you need to get the audience need to be this this element of expectation. It's like when a headline is, even if they're headlining like uh, an open an open mic. Mm. Just the fact that they're being introduced to the headline yeah. gives them an element of trust in that person. So Definitely. And also, you know, it's it's right to do that. The audience will enjoy themselves more if they, you know, if, if an act's coming on, if they're a good act, if they're told they're a good act, if they, they'll enjoy themselves more. They'll relax and then they will actually enjoy the act more. So yeah. it's not even really... It's not about lying to them. If someone's terrible, I wouldn't, if I'm emceeing and I know that someone's terrible, firstly, I'd be like, why are they on this bill? But also I would, I wouldn't bring them on by saying that I think they're funny, but I wouldn't bring them on with anything less than enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. You know, so it's more about, you know, telling, you know, getting the audience to be supportive of people and stuff like that. Yeah. I think I don't really know what point I'm making, but I spoke for a while, so it sounded convincing, didn't it? Yeah, it's very. Yeah, very there was profound. a bit in there when you really thought I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. So we we're, were talking a little bit about you know how you structure your set and stuff, and I one of the topics I really enjoy getting into is is like the elimination process for like bits of material. Mm. So do you have like a do you have like a set way you go about when you you know you write something, you try something, and then. How often do you do that? How many times do you try it before you think now nah, to be honest, I'll put that to bed for now? I so I write quite a lot of stuff. There's plenty of stuff I eliminate before I even try it on stage because you can read it back and go, there's even if there's something in it, if it's not ready yet, you just leave it in a notebook and you go, at some point that might be something that's funny. Um I probably should try things more than I do. I tend to 
if I try if there's a joke I'm not sure about but it could work mm. if I try it once and it completely dies and I'll, I'll feel vilified and then I'll be like I probably don't need to try again I tend to try it more than once obviously but if I'm already not sure something's going to work and then it doesn't work I go well I was right and it's <laughs> and it's hard to convince yourself that something's going to be really funny if you if you didn't really think it was going to properly work and then it doesn't work yeah um, with other stuff I tend to yeah, I try it a few different few times if it doesn't quite work, but I like the idea. Sometimes I try and change the point of view of the joke or slightly tweak yeah. this setup or something like that. But most of it's not really the right way to do it, I don't think. Or the most of my elimination process is me before I've even said anything on stage, being like, "This is terrible," and just getting rid of things okay. before it even gets said and obviously i like i'm previewing a new show right now so you try loads of bits and you see what works and then you tweak them and stuff but i don't i tend to go in at least thinking this will end up being something with all material as opposed to well we'll see what they do (laughs) yeah okay so then you're very self-aware in that sense you you have a a, like a filter yeah i mean there's i'm sure there's plenty of jokes that i do that some people don't find funny but i'm aware of what i'm aiming for with each joke or at least what i'm trying to aim for yeah and i guess i guess it becomes over over a longer period of time when you're trying the same material you know over and over again it it becomes an element of kind of um like law of averages yeah well you can kind of as well with the same material if you're trying it again and again you know roughly what kind of audiences prefer it but you also can tell what kind of reaction it's going to get so you can tweak the order of your set accordingly you know yeah. if you if you know there's one joke that will go down really well in a particular place or a particular kind of crowd or with particular age group then you can move it to a good spot in your set at from where it might originally be just to balance things out so yeah if you pay enough attention to what people to what the reactions are each time you do something you can get a pretty good read on it because obviously nothing gets exactly the same response everywhere so. no that's true a lot of comedians when when a new bit of material doesn't fall mm. they they call it out straight away and i don't like doing a, that it's such a it's such an excuse I, I, yeah. I do that sometimes i'm sure accidentally but i don't like going to a gig watching someone try something and then they go, oh, well, that was new when it doesn't work. I'm like, it's, yeah. you should still make an effort to make them laugh. Don't, t- don't tell people it's new in advance. If you're at, most people should only be trying new at an open mic or at a new material night. So people yeah. are aware of the premise of yeah, the that's night. True. And I think and the MC should have already done. Yeah, the MC tells him that. And yeah. even so, like if you're worried that something might not land, you you know, open with a joke that you know works and then try it. And if it doesn't work, you want if you want a good read on something, you shouldn't be telling people it's new material. No, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, <laughs> some of the new material gigs I do are the kind where you have your notebook in your hand on stage, so everyone knows it's brand new material. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. That doesn't mean that people are going well it'll be funny soon you know you just do it you see what it gets and then you come back to it once you've worked that out i personally <laughs> don't bring notes on stage um i try try techniques to remember things and mm. um, i don't i don't tell one-liners or puns or any any sort of stuff like that i do a few quick fire jokes that just get an audience on my side but i tend to just go up and sort of hope for the best really <laughs> and then record listen to it later and and then work out yeah if I delivered that in a different way, maybe that would get a better laugh. It's a good um, thing to do, recording your sets, because it's so hard to, even if you're doing a five-minute set, 
if you're telling one story for the whole five minute set, it's probably easier to remember which bits went down well and badly, yeah. but you still in your head inflate and deflate laughter based on what you thought at the time. And if you have a recording of it, you can be like, oh no, actually that bit I thought didn't go as well as I thought actually did. I just wanted it to get more. And equally, you know, your favorite bits, you might remember getting a bigger laugh because yeah. you really want them to. So it's, yeah, it's a great idea to record your sets and listen back to them. Good, I, good, good bit of advice. There you go. Top tips. Yeah. <laughs> do you what's what length of sets do you do that you can never take notes on stage? Because I'm I find that impressive. I whenever I'm trying new stuff, yeah, I don't bother trying to memorize it because it feels like a waste to memorize something I might not use again. Right, I see what you're saying. Okay. So I don't take I wouldn't take it written out verbatim. Yeah. I, you know, I, I learn it well enough that especially if it's short jokes i learn it well enough that i can write myself a little prompt but also i don't learn it into a set okay. because i don't want to have to unlearn it from a set if it doesn't i work see what properly. you're saying yeah because it because yeah. um because subconsciously you're you'll actively mm. remember it anyway because you've done it but yeah well from, like my last hour-long show for example if i yeah. start doing jokes from that like the beginning of that show had a lot of one-liners put right next to each other because i was just sort of introducing myself if i start doing those jokes that they just tend to come out in that order and I can, I can pick them out and do them. But if I naturally carry on speaking, they'll come out in the order they were in in that show. So I don't want to, every time I try new material, be like, well, I'll pop this joke after this one and then have to remember to pull it out later. I see, yeah. Yeah. And I, what I tend to do, really, I tend to write five in a sets, mm. like different ones. Like, As separate uh, entities. Exactly, yeah. So if yeah. I'm going to try new material, it'll be maybe a one premise that I'll follow up and call back on in that five minutes and okay. then and then if I'm not doing that many 20 minutes at that particular time I'll be at home writing how I'm going to link those together yeah. I'll maybe have loads of bits of like jokes that I've written that I I um um I, like written before that I've never used but then suddenly they're, they're a great segue into something yeah and so I mm. sort of I don't know if it's the right way to do it or the wrong way but it I think it's a work. good way to do it. it's nice to try and it's easier to perform stuff well if you know it well yeah. like so when you're doing brand new material if you can't remember it well enough to not be reading it your performance suffers because you're reading yeah. so you don't really you get a good read on whether it's funny but you don't get a full read on it because you're not fully performing it as you would if you knew the material so there's a balance between like it's good to know the material well enough that you're not going to accidentally say the punchline's wrong and stuff like that or just yes. get tongue-tied over it but yeah i tend to like uh, previewing new shows because that's an hour of comedy an hour is a huge amount of time and you're adapting it so much when you're previewing you don't want to mm. try and remember the full hour in February or something because it definitely won't be the same hour that you're performing that's in true. August Yeah. so like I tend to now with my previews I know a lot of bits of the show I know loads of big sections of it but also I'm rejigging the order I'm changing points of view of different jokes I'm adding in one so I have like you know a, a notebook which has written it written out in order and so I'm not reading that the whole time. But, you know, if I get to a point and I want to check where I am, I can do that easily. Do you have, like, checkpoints in, in your sets that you... A little bit, yeah. Not prompts. so much in short sets, but in... I mean, kind of in short sets, too. It's, but it's kind of like, yeah, a first joke that I know is the beginning of a section of 15 jokes or something. Is Once I've remembered yes, that bit, I that's see. fine. So I can remember a set as four or five different points to start from. Yeah. But, yeah, with when I'm previewing new shows and things, I just write out a full list of everything in the order i want to say it not mm. obviously every word of every joke but, you know a, full, a prompt for everything and i don't need to read most of it but also i'd rather read lots of it and you know get it right in the right order than try and memorize it and then re-memorize it for the next preview when i've changed everything <laughs> yeah. so um 
you said you, you you drive to a lot of gigs. Yeah. Um, quite so, a few. so what I do as well, and mm. one of the things that obviously driving to a gig does means that you can't have like paperwork in front of you while yeah. you're like to practice. So what? What? How do you practice? Um, you know, for gigs, aside from obviously the obvious thing of going to open mics and trying out material, mm. how do you how do you get familiar with your, your material? Um, I tend to try and. If I'm driving to a gig where I don't feel like I know what I'm going to say before I get there, I try and get there early enough that I can look at notes. Yes. And like, I can't, you know, occasionally if I was, you can listen back to a set, but I don't think, I don't know. I tend to try and further drive. If I have, I like, it's, it makes sense to drive other people, obviously. So if there's someone else in the car, I'll discuss what I might do with my set with them and what they're going to do. But I don't really use the drives for trying to remember sets. I don't think, I think, you know, on the day when you're driving to a gig, that's quite late to be trying to memorise something. If you yes, feel if it's a gig where you should know your set in advance, I don't worry about it during the drive. I've you know I've written it written it out before yeah. I left, and when I get there, I can check that again. But I don't also because when you're driving, you're you're not you know most of it's motorways, but you're still paying a bit of attention to that. It your mind is wandering between the two and I don't necessarily think you remember things that well if you're going, okay, well, then I do this joke and then I do this joke and all oh, that's the exit I need and then after that I do this joke because you've paused and come out of what you were remembering. So, yeah, I don't really try and memorise stuff in a car. Sometimes if I'm going to preview or something, I listen back to another preview if I'm trying okay. to see how something went and want to try and remember stuff, but I don't... I tend to sorry. I tend to assume that time is is lost for memorizing things. So you can think up things in a car. You can do stuff like that. But I don't think it's the time to be trying to remember what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any preset rituals you do before you go on? Mm, I do sacrifice a child occasionally, but <laughs> uh, not oh, really. No. no, I. It depends on what the gig is and how, because different levels of gigs feel like they're different things. So. Like, I, I wear different stuff if I'm doing a bigger gig and things okay. like that. I wear superhero socks when do you? to give me good luck, yeah. Awesome. You're not religious, but you're, are you a little bit superstitious like that then? Do you like good luck charms and all that sort of stuff? I don't... I mean, I do like them, but also I don't think if I don't have them, it's going to go terribly. <laughs> so I like the routine of always, like, wearing socks with superheroes on before I do it. But if I don't have socks with superheroes on, I don't assume the gig's fucked. I just yeah. go, oh, well, today I don't have those socks on. <laughs> I would put on socks that didn't have a superhero on over no socks because I have a phobia of feet. So you have a phobia not, of feet as well? They're okay. disgusting. They are, yeah. They're the worst yeah. things. Imagine, they're just, oh. Anyone, anyone who gets off on them is weird and should be locked oh, up. Oh, they should, yeah. They should get, <laughs> they're so weird. They, like... Hands, but disgusting hands. Dis- I, think I was explaining disgusting, this. Disgusting um, hands. I was explaining a friend. I had a whole you. section about this in my last show. <laughs> Have you? The number of people who just st- like laughed, but then stared at me like I was an idiot for not liking feet. But every yeah. once in a while, like every third show, someone would be like, "Yes, I hate feet too," and I'd be like, "I'm vilified." <laughs> that's fine. That's what you. That's what you. You, you go for. You just. Yeah, um, exactly. But uh, yeah, I, I was trying to explain to a friend recently that he was not English, and mm. um, that a foot fetish is, is a thing, and people do have weird fetishes for feet, and they just couldn't understand it. And they just, re- I tried everything to explain. I tried a um, bit of their local lingo, it didn't work. They just wouldn't understand it. And I don't, I don't I, get it myself. It's like I, I wouldn't be able to explain that as a thing. I can, I understand that it exists, but also doesn't mean I can explain it. You're so far removed mm. from that frame yeah, of reference no. that you just. Like, feet are so gross like oh 
They're the worst bit. They serve a purpose. That's all they're there for. They're there to stand on and walk on. Yeah. They keep you... I don't know. I don't but, know what they really do. Ears keep you up. I don't know. Let's, let's not talk <laughs> about the human anatomy because I think she'll start... I've got a biology degree. I never use it. This is really the most use it's gotten since I've graduated. So, <laughs> And it's well, all good. just me going, feet are terrible, which is not something they actually taught us. Well, that's definitely worth 27 grand. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> they keep sending me letters being like, you still owe us money. I'm like... I'm not earning enough yet. Yeah, no. Good luck getting that out of me. If any promoters are listening, she's a fantastic comedian. She is available for bookings. Yeah, probably. But, you know, I'm very busy and important, so I might not be available. She not available all hand. the time. She likes catching <laughs> hand. And if, it, if any HM revenue are listening, she does definitely declare her taxes. I do. Don't imply that I don't. I didn't. I implied you did. I know, but you did it in one of those voices that was saying she probably is committing a crime. I'm not. <laughs> I'm very good. <laughs> so tell me about a time you died on your ass on stage. Why is that what we're going for? Um, yeah, I love it. I really love it. I, we've all been there. It's, yeah, there's a, a while, quite a while ago, I did a gig in Watford and I was doing yeah. 10 minutes. It was a long time, a couple of years ago at least, I think. And I was, I got there and the guy who runs the gig also MCs the gig and I had gigged with before and I know he's not a great MC. Um, and he put me on to open even though I'd sent him a message in advance saying, oh, I'm trying new stuff. And also... I was doing a set that was almost all entirely one-liners, which can work to open, but it's not traditionally is not the best thing to put first yeah. because people kind of need to get into the idea of jokes and just bombarding them with jokes first act on doesn't necessarily yeah. work. It may, um, it may work for the other acts, but you have to be the one yeah. that takes it for the team, you know? It's, and obviously like, I can open fine. That's perfect, like perfectly fine. But also at that point when I would previous just sent him a message being like, I'm going to try new stuff. Is that okay? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And then put me first. Um, it was not anyway, I just I did one liners to a silent room of people in Watford for 10 minutes, which is a little bit soul destroying. And yeah. How did you pick yourself up after that? I, t- I tend to not arrogantly, but I tend to assume gigs like that. It's not the fault of any one person. Like, I, I should have adapted what I was doing to try and get them to laugh better. And, you know, I wanted to try new stuff, but I potentially should have sacrificed a few new jokes to put yeah. in some, yeah. some bits. And also, they clearly wanted to be spoken to as an audience. They haven't been spoken to yet and stuff like that. So there's bits you can spot. Um, but I tend to, you know, if I've recorded a set, most some people are really good for... I, I try and record most of my sets. If I'm doing a set where I'm basically doing the same set I normally do and it's just, you know, a club gig and I'm doing 15 or 20 minutes, I tend not to record it unless I'm trying something that I want to listen back to. Okay. Um, I tend to, If I know that I've had a terrible gig, I tend to not bother to listen to it back unless there were a specific bits where I thought they reacted interestingly. But like, if it's one where just everyone's really silent, I'm like, I'm not going to get anything from listening back to this. No, except, I'll just remember what yeah. did, what, which specific bits I felt were losing people yeah. and then go through it. So and then you, just make sure you've got enough gigs booked in that if you have a bad gig, it's not the, yeah. the, the last gig you have for three months. That's a good, like there's a good one around the corner. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, like, especially when you're booking your first gigs ever, when you're super brand new, like don't book your first gig and not have a second gig booked. No. Because if you have no. a good first gig, good, like 
I remember the first stand-up gig I did it went really well it was lovely and then my but I already had a second gig booked and that was nice because if you have one gig you think you're amazing you think you're some kind of genius and then you don't have another gig for two months it's a long time for you to get a massive ego off the back of no nothing basically but also if you do one gig and it goes badly it's it's puts you off booking anything else so it's important to have enough gigs in your calendar that one bag here doesn't actually have a huge effect yeah and <laughs> so you say you say so you don't you don't tend to listen back to bad gigs but if you do how long do you leave it till afterwards to well i listen back to i so it's not that i don't listen i listen back to ones where there's something to be gained from them yes, so if i, I have see. a preview and it doesn't go as well as I, I still listen back to work out what didn't work and did work yeah. but if i go to a gig and it's you know like if i go to a gig and it's the kind of gig where loads of people are drunk and there's lots of stags and hens in and stuff like that and it's just you can get them to laugh but there's not necessarily a huge amount to be gained by going okay well calling that guy a prick worked I'll use that again. I'll just have to get him to all my gigs. So yeah, I tend to, if I think I know what went wrong, I don't listen to it because I don't like listening to myself dying. No. <laughs> um, but if I do listen to them back, I, I tend to, I don't, I wouldn't do it on night. If I have a good gig and something new really works, sometimes I do listen to it back on like on the way back or something so I can like if I'm getting the tube to us from there so I can immediately like if I'd ad-libbed something I can note it down straight away to use again but if it's something that's gone less well probably in the next couple of days if I think I'm going to get something out of listening back to it and I want to try that bit again or whatever it was that I thought did or didn't work again I'll listen back to it in the next few days and then if not just wait and, and if I have to listen back to it at some point in the future I will and if I don't it just stays on my phone forever yeah <laughs> until you need space on the phone yeah and then slowly <laughs> go through deleting random gigs <laughs> so you are you are regularly getting paid for gigs now you're headlining shows up and down the country all over London and everything and you have written your you've just written your second hour yeah well I'm still writing it but it's it's yeah. currently an hour so I have written it it's been tweaked <laughs> but yeah it's been tweaked so tell me about that <laughs> tell me about that show and then and then where you're taking it to um so yeah so it's called undershare my new show I'm it's I'm writing it for the Edinburgh Fringe but I'm taking it to loads of other festivals and they're all just kind of developing so the idea is it's obviously the Edinburgh Fringe is in August so what you hope is that by july you're basically just putting final tweaks on so the show is basically the show but it's still a preview in the sense that you're just you know working on memorizing it well and working on you know the final bits for performance and so in like june you're kind of final tweak like at the moment i'm still moving sections and trying to you know do big bits so that my last preview on monday i had a completely new ending and it you know which luckily worked quite well so i'll probably use quite a bit of that in the okay. end but i'm still you know it's still at the stage You're where i'm writing it. big sections yeah. in and writing big sections out and still honing it mm. so yeah i'm doing it lots of places but there's still f- yeah it's fun to see shows when they're at that stage it's nice to see because as someone who also enjoys watching comedy anyone i find funny generally yeah i'm interested in you know i like seeing them preview new stuff because there's bits they know work and that's nice and then there's also the bits they're working on and you get to see a nice element of not really the process but so much as like working out what's funny on stage is quite fun so if you put down you know must talk about this video or must talk about this thing and yeah. just see someone you find funny doing that that's really great and it's really interesting to see what they get out of that okay so yeah uh anyway yeah but i'm developing my second hour it's going to lots of festivals including the edinburgh fringe for the full run so if anyone's in edinburgh i'm at the tron at 3 40 oh yeah all, all month 
All month. All month. All month long. And then after Every that, day. If, if you do come along, please give a lot of money because she needs to pay off debts afterwards. Oh, yeah, so much money. Please, please. please. Yeah. The rent in Edinburgh is extortionate. <laughs> and just in case the HM Revenue are still listening to this. <laughs> I declare everything. Stop implying otherwise. <laughs> um, so, professionally, what is your next step in terms of what you want to do with comedy? Um, I'm trying at the moment. So, I've done a few writing jobs for Radio 4 and stuff like that. So, I'm trying to with my new hour and with jobs at the moment I'm just trying to get myself into a position where people put me in their where producers and things are thinking of me in their head as someone to perform on stuff like that so like radio 4 type things and things like that and just general generally trying to make myself someone who comes to mind when producers yeah. are thinking about you know we need someone to do one liners for this I want to be one of the names that comes into their head and stuff like that so that's kind of what I'm doing. So you're just dabbling in a lot of different things. You're exposing yeah, yourself. You've been in I, the right I'm places. To, as well, I'm trying to make sure it's clear what I'm good at. So I'm, I can, I've like, I've written for um, the news quiz a few times. So I'm yeah. good at writing. What you do when you write for the news quiz is you're in a writer's room. There's sort of six of you and you're writing the jokes for the chair. So that's Miles Jupp at the moment. But you're basically writing, you know, they pick the news stories. You're writing jokes for each of the topical news stories that will be read by Miles so it's an element of proving that you're good at writing for a specific person's voice so obviously like if I'm writing a joke for Miles I can't write it like I would write it for me I have to think slightly about you know what who he is and stuff like that and but also it's just about being able to quickly produce a lot of content yes you know in the couple of days you have to write for eight different stories you've got to show that you can produce plenty of funny stuff for all of those things yeah in one of those situations mm-hmm. it can sometimes be you know you could write 10 jokes maybe three will make it but you just got to keep yeah or, you, or sometimes you go into writer's room like that and you write you know eight nine jokes for every story and, and one or two make it into the final script yeah. but the, the way they do that is they have you know a lot of you you write a lot of jokes and it's you go through them all as as the group in the writer's room and sort of work out what works best so yeah even if it, it doesn't feel like everyone People, obviously, everyone originated every joke, but it doesn't feel like everyone goes, well, that's mine to every joke. Or at least when I've been in there, you know, there's been points where someone is halfway through a joke and they're like, oh, I need a funnier reference for this. And then other yeah, people can okay. chip in. So it's not, it's not entirely collaborative. A lot of the writing happens with individuals, you know, doing it themselves. But there's points where everyone's going, oh, do we need a funnier tagline for this? And then other people contribute. So that's nicer. And yeah, so you feel like the final script for things like that, you're, you can see your footprint on it, regardless nice. of how many of the jokes you officially feel like you own. Okay. But yeah, so that's nice. So I'm trying to, my main aim is to make myself be someone that people are thinking of for stuff like that. So I do, and writing jokes, and then just trying to make myself a performer that people would be interested in seeing as well. So not just for my writing. But who knows, you know, just making lots of money and friends and things like that that's amazing <laughs> isn't that what we really want that's making what we friends. want friends it's, it's all about making friends making friends and being able to afford to eat what an amazing episode but Adele's pretty much outed every single comedian but now the cat is out the bag yes pretty much all of us comedians just want constant approval from strangers and in the process we just hope to make a couple of friends but how awesome is she? If you are up in Edinburgh this year, she's performing a new show, Undershare, for Just the Tonic at the Tron. That's going all month, and that's at 3pm. Links and all the ways you can follow her and buy tickets will be in the show notes. 
As usual, please subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. It really does help spread the word. And you can also donate to the podcast at lukeantonycomedy.co.uk forward slash TCO podcast. There's a donate button there. Hit it and please donate a couple of quid if you can. Join me again next week for another brilliant conversation with Aaron Simmons, who is another absolute pro. Just to give you an idea of the calibre of comedians you'll be listening to in the next few weeks, I've got Louise Atkinson, Jack Campbell, Offaly Hockwood, Jason Stamp and Katie Pritchard and many more amazing comedians coming up after that too. But that's it from me. But don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. That's at Luke A. Comedian for all of them. And if you want to see me perform, come to one of my gigs. They're all listed on my website, lukeantonycomedy.co.uk. Ciao for now. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.